Hello and welcome to Paddock Chat, a West Midlands group podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. Each episode, we delve into topics on the farming horizon and help you in the search for the answers needed to confidently navigate the future ahead. So let's dive into today's episode. Hi everyone. In this episode of Paddock Chat, I sit down with Brett Beard, who is the area manager for Summit Fertilisers to chat about the importance of potassium application for the West Midlands region. Summit have been a long-term diamond sponsor for the West Midlands group and have been involved in potassium trials in the region for the last few years. So it's time to switch off that radio and settle in for an episode of Paddock Chat. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on the information provided in this podcast. And this episode was recorded in April of 2023. Okay, so welcome, Brett. Thank you. And we also got Melanie here. Hello. (laughs) Okay, wonderful. So I just wanted to start, Brett, with what actually brought you to your current position. Okay, so I'm originally from a farming family in Cunderdon, uh, wheat, sheep and pigs, and uh, went to school in Perth and studied ag science at UWA. Uh, The farm wasn't big enough for me to go back. So I had to do something different. So I opted for the ag industry and I worked with a merchandise firm as an agronomist (laughs) for uh, seven years. And I was out east for most of that time. So I was looking to head west into the more medium to high rainfall. And Summit Fertilisers approached me with an offer and here I am. So... All right. That's the basic how I got to it. How long have you been at Summit for? Yeah. I've uh, been at Summit for 15 years. Yeah, right. In more. Not bad. The yeah. whole time. So that's how I got into Summit. I was quite interested in, after doing seven years of agronomy, you, you don't have as much influence as you think you do on farmers' decisions because you're not directly involved in the budgeting side of things. Yeah. You're generally budgeting, but you're not focused whereas fertilizer is a the highest input and so and it's a more of a global issue than a localized issue so you get more uh, experience worldly experience and more finance budgeting type experience than you do as being a in paddock agronomist so yeah. i like that side of things as well okay so are you, are you a numbers man i do like numbers <laughs> i do like numbers yeah yeah absolutely so yeah, numbers flying around on the head. <laughs> it's sort of pretty good at maths, so okay. Yeah, science and maths are my strong points. So it's good having that, that agronomy background. And I said did plenty of work on the farm in my younger days, so a fair bit of practical experience. That always helps. Yeah. It does. Yep, absolutely. It sounds like you found the happy sweet spot between yeah. the three. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I think so. I think so. So I'm a, a good company to work for. So can't. Feels like a bit of a plug. Oh well. <laughs> Well, if you're getting staff retention, especially at the moment, is a very good sign. We have very few companies going right. We have very few people turn over. Yeah, and it helps. Well, I've seen how much it helps being here a couple of years. You can get so much further. So I can imagine after 15 years. Yeah, you really need to be, once you're three years or more, that's when you start making some inroads, really. Yeah, definitely. Okay, we'll get into the nitty gritty. What is the importance of potassium in our farming systems in WA? So potassium 
in its own right is a macronutrient that is required by crops and pastures, but we don't tend to see it work in isolation. So it's it's mainly, from what I see, is used in making your nitrogen and phosphorus work better. Yeah, okay. So that's where your, your biggest bang for your buck is by making sure your potassium's good, which makes the big money spenders and receivers of money, which is nitrogen and phosphorus, work better. So you can be chucking on as much nitrogen as you want if you're not thinking about your potassium that it's almost a bit of a waste. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, nitrogen is the biggest yeah. single thing a farmer can do to influence yeah. positive gross margin in season. But you need to make sure your potassium is right. You know, there's plenty of work and anecdotal evidence that potassium is good for frost, diseases, water efficiency within the plant. But you don't tend to see that as a yield at the end of the day. You see it because your nitrogen you put on has worked better. Yeah. Yeah. Or your phosphorus that you've put on at seeding has worked better yeah. because you've got a good potassium. Which makes measuring it, quantifying and qualifying it within the soil yeah, difficult because it's not a standalone yeah. responsive nutrient. It works in interactions with everything else. Tricky. It'd be fun that to easy tricky. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. I mean, people have tried to make it simple. The labs have given you critical levels and plenty of departments over the years that you need this much potassium in the soil and you get this much yield response, but it absolutely does not work like that. And you get plenty of scenarios where you've got farmers who soil test values look fine, and they're still getting those wind row effects from potassium on beautiful red soil types all the way down to your nice non-wetting silver limes. But it's not consistent. You know, we're doing lots with our stubbles these days. We're not tilling as much, not working the ground as much. And a lot of the potassium was recycled via weathering or mechanical processing. We're not getting that. So you look at trials from probably pre-1995 and they show all these good responses and these good results. But the farming systems have changed, so they're just about... How relevant are they is the question, I suppose. So how can producers determine whether potassium levels are correct? Difficult. <laughs> I mean, the, you've got rules of thumb and you've got, you know how much grains export. We think we know how much the stubbles export, but then it depends if you burn or you winrow or what you do with those stubbles, how far your head spreads, all that sort of stuff. You've got critical levels generated from many, many trials over the years. And we've got those to depth as well. So that's where you start. And then you look at yield potential and making sure you put enough nitrogen and phosphorus on. Summit has been involved with trials in the region for the last five years? More? Plenty? Since 1989. Okay. The past very many years. Very many years. (laughs) Um, What have been the main findings of those trials? Main findings with respect to potassium. Yes. Is that... It is 100% season dependent. In a wet year, i.e. 2018, 2021, 2022, mm. you will find you'll get very little response because the, the plants and the soil's wet and it finds it. Yeah. And you've got a bank there from histories where you've had dry years and they're just very good. At the, the crop species we grow are exceptional at finding whatever they can to produce as much as they can. In a dry year, different story. Dry year is when you see the responses and quite often you will see potassium responses in their own right. More so if you've got a, a trial that is an N by K or an N by P or an N by PNK, you'll get better responses to applied nitrogen and applied phosphorus at the high potassium levels. But in a wet year, 
you'll just about have a straight line K response, mm. yeah. irrespective of soil type and soil test values. Okay. It doesn't matter if you've got the most responsive site or a non-responsive site. And that's what's so tricky about soil testing and using the rules of thumb. Whilst they're good in theory, practically, because of what farmers are doing and industry has promoted, for other reasons, it doesn't always work out as simple as that. So the main findings, A, you don't necessarily get responses where you think you're going to get responses. B, we are definitely not putting in enough potassium. And we haven't really been doing it for a long time. We've had agriculture in this area since the 50s, across the state since the 20s, or probably even before that, really only started putting potassium on in earnest probably 20, 25 years ago. Okay. So we've had 30, 40, 50, 60 years of not putting anything on, which is the same story as lime, actually. Yeah. Exactly the same. We've played catch-up for yeah. all those years. So potassium and lime are essentially the same story. When we're talking, we talk about a K-responsive paddock. Mm-hmm. What do you define that as then? What does that mean? Is that comes back to the other nutrients that are actually there? So a K-responsive soil type, because most paddocks have got two, three, four, five different soil types, means if you don't put K on, either you're going to get a straight out K deficiency, which you don't see that often, or you know that your N and your P aren't going to work as well, which is just about every scenario in every paddock. Yeah. In our area here, where we are looking at a minimum of 2.2, 2.5 tonnes, up to six, seven, eight tonnes in good years, production is reliable, therefore we should be putting it on every year as a insurance essentially you go out east when they're looking at one ton crops different story oh, okay. so a very unique unique area yeah mm. it's very very unique area many reasons. that ties in i think to my next question quite well um where i was going to ask what are the optimal k fertilizer strategies for the west midlands region kind of looking at how much we applied can we do capital application every few years which i guess you've just touched on oh look say a three ton crop is going to remove say 15 kilos of potassium in the grain and there'll be a few more kilos per grain per ton in the straw so you can say 15 to 20 units of potassium are removed in a three ton crop ish so we should be budgeting on a minimum of 15 units of potassium most people are doing that out here uh, most of them are doing that at seeding so at seeding will be between probably 10 and 15, 10 and 16 units of potassium at seeding. So they're covering most of their export at seeding. We know that no fertiliser application is 100% efficient. And when you've got tie-ins with high calcium from lime, which can interrupt potassium and magnesium and all sorts of other things, yeah, your efficiency is certainly going to be lower. So we tend to put a second application on with a nitrogen, say early mid-tillering. You might put another 10 to 15 units on. So most people I deal with are probably between 20 and 30 units of applied potassium per year, which is covering most of their outputs and giving a bit of buffer for inefficiency. It's those years when you get six, seven, eight tonnes, which happen more often than you think, certainly in parts of the paddock, because we're looking at, mm. we look at paddocks as a whole, but every paddock, if a paddock's going to yield four tonne, there's going to be parts going seven because there's parts going two. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got parts of the paddock that need more, so you'll be draining those good parts on those big years. So we tend to use a capital application 
say every five years would be good. Would be good or? It would, it would be good. Yeah, so not that. Are people doing that now? Uh, some, that... Sometimes when the price is right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So the last yeah. two years, potassium has, has been a horrible price. And, and it's been wet. And it's been wet, so they're yeah, taking off been... lots. But it depends on what your consultant and your bank let you set as a budget price and how much risk you're willing to take as to whether you want to spend another 100 bucks a hectare on a capital application yeah. of potassium when you think it might come down next year. It might only cost you $60 a hectare. Can you get away with just putting on our 20 or 30 units? Yeah, you can in some soil types. No, you can't in others. But if it's a wet season, it probably won't matter. If it's a dry season, it probably will. But you don't know that till the end of the season. So there's a lot of insurance. So you said it's usually applied at seeding. Mm-hmm. Do people ever kind of get a few months in and go, I need more? Yes. Yeah. And can you, you can apply it kind of? Yeah, yeah. So I've seen good responses to post-emergent applied potassium up till probably middle of August. Okay. So you, you do have time. It's quite a mobile, user-friendly product. You've certainly got time, a bit like nitrogen, you've got time to, to catch up with potassium. Yeah. As long as it's not a, doesn't stop raining the minute you put it on, which has happened once or twice. But mostly we get a decent spring here, so you can rectify that pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay. What sort of products have you seen to be most beneficial in this region? Okay, so there's two types of potassium sources. One's muriate de potash, which is a little red granule. One is sulfate of potash, which is a little white to grey granule. Sulfate of potash is typically $200 to $300 a tonne more than muriate of potash for 41% K versus muriate, which is 50% K. So you're paying more to get less. It's not as salty, the sulfate of potash. So for crops that are sensitive to salt, i.e. horticulture, broccolis and things like that, they have to use it. Broadacre, for the amount of chlorine that is getting applied by the potash, you're probably getting more from the sea via the rain in this area than you are with potassium. So you can get an acute salt effect at seeding. Does it translate into yield loss? Usually no. Usually. (laughs) No, no, no. It looks horrible, can look horrible. Yeah. Say things like lupins. Yeah. Or canola, which are smaller seeded and you you can cook a few seeds. Yeah. It can look bad, but they're very good at compensating, especially in good years. So most broadacre potassium is in the source of muriate potash because it's a lot more cost-effective. Uh, and then you've got the compound products of seeding, which contain muriate or sulfate of potash within the yeah. compound. So you can use those as seeding, but it's the sources you're interested in. It's the muriate versus sulfate more than the type of product. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah. The trials that you've done as well, have they looked at different timing of... Your first potassium application? Yeah, so most trials we do in the past have been sort of one-year trials looked at rates by timing by source. So you look at what rates, at what time of the year, can we split these timings, um, can we use muriate or sulfate of potash and sort of get a big picture of what's what's economic in that given year. In recent times, we've set up some longer-term trials because we're finding that we're not getting the responses we expect so we're thinking maybe there's something going on in the background, whether you've got a bigger bank, more potassium depth, whatever the reason is. So setting up, setting up these longer trials, looking at the same things, but just trying to tease out more of the response over time and over crops and over seasons. And then trying there to is, that over multiple years. Yeah, over multiple years. Yeah. And there's no, there's no real consistent approach because it's all analysis done in hindsight. 
Oh, yeah, in this year we should have done this by this by this, given these prices of inputs and these prices of outputs. You do the same thing next year, it'll be totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So most of the decision-making comes down to pharma logistics. So not agronomics or economics, which at this time of the year I've spoken about, but in the heat of battle when you're spreading or you're seeding, logistics overrules everything. So they want to get done easy. They want to get it done as economically beneficial as possible. Is it beneficial then, would you say to someone, maybe trial a few things on on your farm? Like, is that the easiest way to understand? But then it changes every yeah. year. Uh, with potassium, though, I wouldn't say that. People are still behind the ball with nitrogen, okay. to be honest. Right. Nitrogen is, is, as I said, the one single biggest thing a yeah. farmer can do to influence a positive gross margin. And by and large, if I do plant testing, 99% of the samples will come back nitrogen deficient which masks deficiencies of everything else. Mm. So you need to have your nitrogen right before you can start pulling out the next most limiting thing. Yeah. So therefore, I would suggest people need to get their nitrogen right, which is rate by timing, because in this area we tend to use enough. We don't tend to use it early enough because people are worried about leaching or losses, other losses, which may be a thing in the future that we have to concentrate more about in terms of carbon farming. So that's a whole different thing that's going to influence our decision-making is the carbon side of things and um, carbon audits because in the past when nitrogen has been cheap, they just throw it out. They lose a bit, who cares? Well, the government's going to care now. But no, so I would suggest as long as your budget allows it, potassium should be put on at a minimum of replacement, preferably double replacement every year regardless and concentrate on getting your nitrogen right because that is still the number one limiting factor in terms of nutrient application. You do tend to see higher potassium treatments in, in trials tend to have a higher protein later, so it would, as long as your nitrogen is higher. So it does tend, as if you put it on, you can get higher protein, but that's only if your nitrogen is right. Yeah. So it's not, it's, could you put a, a dollar value on it then, potentially? Is it helping you not get leaf rust? when your next neighbour didn't use any, is getting leaf rust first. Maybe, but that's only a time thing because if he hasn't used anything, yeah. it's going to come to you eventually. It's still going to get you. Yeah. It might give you an extra week up your sleeve, but it's, it's not going to save you pure dollars. That's No, that's yeah, fair yeah. enough. Why isn't the rule of thumb around soil testing models accurate all of the time? I think it's mostly down to A, old data that aren't up to, it isn't up to date with current farming practices, I think and interactions with other nutrients is the other main reason because it's not the first thing to respond. There's other things, other nutrients that we respond first. There's a lot more potassium at depth and model recommendations are only generated in the top zero to 10. Whatever numbers are generated from deeper testing is sort of a gimme. You've got to work that out yourself as an advisor, but that's not right all the time either. Um, there are three different ways of reporting potassium from soil testing, and we are looking at whether some of these other ways are more consistent, getting the model to generate a consistent in-paddock response. So we just sort of have this farming system that's changing so much, and then it's also really complex in the soil when we're talking about potassium interactions, and it just makes it that much harder for soil testing models to keep up. Is that sort I of think what you're saying? That's, a, that's a, quite a good summary. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I think so. And because potassium is not number one, yeah. not the numero uno, he's not the one that's going to yeah, make, the biggest change. make the biggest change. Yeah. Let's so focus. you got a couple in front of that first. Yeah. 
What keeps you interested in agriculture? I like the fact that I can get up every day of the year from one year to the next and I'll have a totally different experience. I could go into the mining industry and do the same thing every day and there's no end in sight. Probably make a bucket load more money, but I'd be miserable. This way I can, you don't know what's what it's going to bring, the season, the outcomes. You try your best to do the best for everybody and one year it will be spot on and the next year it will be no good. Well, it's actually it's never no good. It's just not as good as it could have been potentially. Yeah, um, but every year is different. And you think, you know, you think you can learn something one year the next and you can't. You do it one year, you get it right, it'll be a totally different outcome than the next year. That's what I like. That's what I like about it. That was a very good answer. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining me and Mel today on the podcast. No worries. We very much enjoyed having you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do. For more information, including how to become a member, visit our website where you can sign up at any time. Links can be found in the show notes. See you next time for some more paddock chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.